Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. This afternoon, the scripture reading is taken from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 1 to 17. Taking from, reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the king lived in, this, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwell in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that night, same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have, sent, I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Where have you not built a, me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you whenever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great nation, a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and, the disturb, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly. From the time I have appointed judges over my people, Israel, and I will give you tests, I give you rest from all your enemies, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits in iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. I almost forgot that I needed to use a mic. I was just going to talk. Come, let's gather together as we pray. God, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for who you have made us to be. We thank you for the word that you have spoken to David. We thank you for the word that you have spoken in this passage today. We pray as we come, as we think about what it means to put you first, as we think about the heart of David. Allow us not to focus on you, allow us to love you, allow us to truly respond in the right way 
because you are Lord and you are God over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One quick announcement um, before we start. Just FYI, we, Pastor Darren asked me to make this announcement. The QR code that is in front of your uh, right, we don't know whether or not uh, y'all have ever tried to tithe to that QR code before. The QR code is for Chinese congregation. Uh. Don't tithe to the wrong place. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so just FYI. Okay, uh, if you need our QR code, um, our e-bulletin has it and you can tithe in that way. Okay, so as we come in today, yeah, I'm here. Um, Pastor Darren is upstairs with the youth for today. We're going to focus on 2 Samuel chapter 7. And 2 Samuel chapter 7, the first half of which was read by Uncle Jeffrey earlier on, we heard several significant points. Right, we, we heard in 2 Samuel chapter 7 how God establishes his covenant with David that is eventually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so there are several significant points throughout the story that have impact or, or ramification in the whole biblical narrative. And if we heard it carefully, actually, because it points to Jesus, this chapter is very much a hinge point in what happens in the Bible. Because it's here that God makes a solemn promise, an unbreakable oath, a covenant with David that is eventually fulfilled in Christ. But having said that, if we look at the characters as well, the characters themselves in David and in Nathan are pretty instructive in what it means to live a Christian life. That if we look at the characters alone, there are many characters, there are many lessons rather that we can draw from this story. And so today as we take a look at these characters, as we explore these lessons, what Reverend Darren has planned through this sermon series is to think about what it means to prioritize God. To think about what it means that God is a priority in our life. And for us this year, we are in this time or in this theme of being equipped as saints. And in such a time as this, especially as our nation opens up, as the hustle and bustle of the nation resumes, it is precisely in these moments of transition where we have a choice. We can choose to reset and enter this new season of what we think of or what we felt was normal with God at the centre, or we can simply get caught up in the whirlwind of it all and face these realities with the same baggages, the same issues from the past. Because if we were honest with ourselves, we would know that where we were previously, God was not in the picture as much as He should have been. So the question for us is, amidst the reopening, where is God in our lives? Amidst the change and the turning up the tuning up, the pacing of what is happening, becoming faster and faster each day, do we make the decision to put God first and center? Because it is precisely in seasons of transition, precisely how we are going to face this new normal, precisely the attitude, the whole characteristic, our whole being as we step in, that is going to determine where God is in our lives. That as the nation opens up, if we profess to be Christian, if we say that we believe that our God is our God, we must remember that in saying that, it should be reflected in our actions. It should be reflected in our actions. And this is especially so in this season that we are sharing together as a church. 
right, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. First, we want to thank God for growth. Right after this service today, there won't be refreshments. We can hang around, we can talk, but there won't be refreshments because we're going to have a newcomer's dinner where we're going to have almost 30 people with the adults. The youth have a party of 50 people upstairs of which including about 20 to 30 newcomers. And we're going to celebrate this growth and welcome them to our church community. We heard during our AGM, if we were there, about the new ministry opportunities that are coming up. And we heard during AGM of how God has grown our tithe in the past year, but all the more that means we need to give. Because, because in this season, in a time like this, it is important for each and every single one of us here to place God as first and center in our lives to ride this wave that He is calling us to as all saints that we allow the will of God to be the guiding hand that determines how we live our life, that aligns all our responsibilities together, that we're not diminishing the different aspects of our job, of our family, but we are saying that when God comes first, we trust and we believe in faith that everything else falls in place, that we put God first and let everything else fall in place because we see that in this wave, in this season, this is what we are going to be held account for. When God asks us how we steward this growth, how we steward this wave that He has put in our midst, that we see and we decide to submit to where God is calling us to as a church, we see the season that God is calling us to and we make an all the more intentional decision to run with what God desires. And that it doesn't just end in this room, but that we go back to our cell groups, we go back to the people who have yet to come back. This hall should not be this empty. We go back to all these people and we challenge them gently with a loving heart to say, where is God in our life? to say, are we willing to put God first and run with what God is calling all saints into? To rally us as a community. And with that frame in mind, we're going to explore, what da we're going to explore David's life and see what it looks like to prioritize God. But the first step that we're going to take is actually to say this, that to say that we want to prioritize God is in fact a misnomer. It's inaccurate. Because prioritizing God should be in fact something that does not come into the equation because as, as, as American missionary Samuel Zwemer puts it, unless Jesus Christ is Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. Unless Jesus Christ is Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. And if we take a dictionary definition of what it means to prioritize, it will tell us to regard something as more important. It will tell us that we are simply comparing something and saying one is more important than the other. But there in itself already lies of an issue because God is an uncomparable God. Because when this word priority tells us that it implies a relative comparison to God and other tasks, but the fact is there can be no comparison. The fact is that if we have been struck by the gospel, there is nothing else that is more important in our life than God and God alone. 
that to weigh God against our careers, against our family, against our cares, as if there is a dichotomy between the two, as if if we are giving up something else, as if we can give up God for the rest of the things because we must recognize that it is in God that everything will align. That to prioritize in inverted commas is simply to let God be God. That if we said God was Lord over our life, if we say God is our God, if we allow the truth of that statement to sink in our hearts or we live as if that statement is true, then there is no such thing as priority because if God was truly God, the very implication of that, of that word God is that He is first, center, and nothing can take His place. And so as we use that word priority today, it is not to signal that God is comparable, but it is to recognize that we will choose amidst the business of our life for God to be God, that we choose to live in that way. And so we see three instances from this passage, how the characters indeed let God be God and put Him above all else in their life. We see it first from David's desire. In verses 1 to 2, it says, After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. To appreciate the context of what happens when David writes this, there is actually scholarly debate over whether or not 2 Samuel chapter 7 is recorded chronologically. Nonetheless, if, even if it wasn't a chronological order in terms of the historical events that are covered, it is significant that the writer puts it straight after 2 Samuel chapter 6, where the ark of the, of the Lord is returned to Jerusalem, where the ark of God is returned to its rightful place. And then chapter 7 picks up that says, after the king was settled in his palace. Then it paints this picture when we read the chapters together of the presence of God, the ark of God being in its rightful place, being, coming back into Jerusalem. And then it paints this picture that the king was settled, that David was at ease, that David was stable in his reign. And it is in the midst of this security that we see the heart of David. And this is striking because for so many of us, we often only turn to God in times of distress. We often only turn to God in times of trouble. We turn to God when we have difficulties in life. And, but when God blesses us and everything goes well, we tend to forget and put God out of the picture. But David here does the exact opposite. That in the midst of stability, in the midst of everything being all well, David's concern turns to the Lord, where he says, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And there are three things about David's heart that this simple statement alone reveals. The first is this that David was concerned for the glory of God. 
That David, and as he sees what God has done around him, as he sees where God has put him, as he sees the blessings that he has in his life, David doesn't just respond with thankfulness and say, yes, God, I thank you, because gratefulness is only one level. David goes further. David is in absolute awe of who God is. He looked around and he felt a deep concern for God's glory, where amidst all that stability, it wasn't, thank you, God, that I have all these things. It was, God, how can I have all these things when you live in a tent? He essentially says, how can it be that I am living in a house that is better, that looks better than the house that God is dwelling in? David says, how can it be that I have a permanent home while God does not? Perhaps David had Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 to 11 in mind when it says this, but you will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and he will give you rest from all your enemies so that you will live in safety. That sounds like David's situation. And then it says this, Then to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling place for His name, there you are to bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, and all the choice possessions you have vowed to the Lord. That as David took in the blessing of stability in the kingdom that God had given him, his heart was moved to remember the place where God was to dwell. And David's desire was for the glory of God to be reflected in God's dwelling place. The question then for us as we look to the blessings in our lives, as we look to the stability that God has given us, even if we're going through a time of struggle at this point in time, when we look back and we see the faithfulness of God, do we merely respond in thankfulness or are we concerned for the glory of God? That precisely because we see the provision of God, precisely because we see how God has provided for us, we too are concerned for His glory. Just as an example, right here in this place, we are witnesses not just to worship the Lord, but as people who are new, as they come in, as they walk into this place, do we show our concern for God's glory in the sense that we are giving Him all glory in the way that we worship? That when we are singing, just as we sang just now, praise the Father, praise the Son, if someone who doesn't have an exposure and has the first time walking into the church, do they see that all of us are concerned for the glory of God because we are singing with all our hearts, because we want to see God glorified, that we truly reflect with all that we are, praise the Father, praise the Son. Well, this concern should be reflected in the way that we worship, in the way that we dress, and in the way that we live. The second point is this, that David looked to the glory of God. So David looked to the glory of God, and so should we, sorry. The second point is this, that David spared no expense for God. See, the implication within that word, here I am living in the house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent, the implication of that sentence was that David intended to build a dwelling place for God that was so, so grand that David would spare no expense in doing it for the Lord. 
And if we fast forward to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 to 5, although David was not the one designated to build the temple in the end, it was his son Solomon, we see this heart reflected in the materials that David left behind for Solomon to build. And I'll read it for us. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, besides great quantities of ornaments and stones for setting, antimony, coloured stones, all sorts of precious stones and marbles, marbles. Moreover, in addition to all that, I have provided for the holy house I have a treasure of my own gold and silver because of my devotion to the house of my God. I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls and for all the work to be done by craftsmen. Gold for the things of gold and silver, and silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today? To the Lord. And we see the regard that David held the Lord in and willing to spare no expense to see God glorified. And the question for us is this, if God is truly God in our life, do we scruple and count when it's time for us to give our tithing? Do we hoard our resources, the time that we have, the money that we have, whatever else, the gifts, the talents that we have, do we say no, no, no? Do we calculate? Or are we lost like David in the greatness of God that we say nothing compares to God? Nothing compares to the glory that God deserves. And so I will spare no expense. I will give my all to see God glorified. The third one, that we see that David wanted to be in alignment to God's will. On the surface, on the surface, we know that building the temple is not a bad idea, right? We see the regard, the height by which David thinks of the Lord and that he simply didn't go ahead and do it, but he actually submitted, if you like, in inverted commas, the idea to the prophet Nathan. See, the prophet was to be gatekeeper, leader, counsel to the king, and David submitted the idea to Nathan trusting, wanting to be in line with God's will. And here perhaps many of us have ideas of what we would like to do in church, ideas of what we think is right and this and that. The question is, do we go, do we have a regard for who God has put in authority to be in alignment to God's will, to not just seek the Lord, but to bring our ideas to those that God has placed in authority as well? Do we align with our leaders in running with these good ideas? Because that's what it means to give glory to God. That's what it means to put God first. To see, to recognize who God has placed in authority. And it's here then that we turn our attention to the prophet Nathan. And this is interesting because we pick up the story from Nathan's perspective in verse 3 when Nathan replies to David this, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. 
at this point in the narrative, it seems like David's plan to build the Lord a temple is a goal. It's great, it's fine, go ahead and do it. Right? Nathan gives David his blessing. He even says, the Lord is with you. But then we read in verse 4, But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, and then we read the rest of that passage as Uncle Jeffrey read earlier, and we see that the idea completely changed. What follows was that God did not desire for David to build a house. In fact, the Lord's desire was to build David a house. So what the Lord revealed to Nathan entirely changed his perspective, but then this poses a dilemma. That should be a double M. I don't know why it didn't save. This poses a dilemma. Was Nathan wrong? Was Nathan too hasty? Why did Nathan say yes? And on what basis? Or if we take it a step further, was Nathan a false prophet? If we look at the Bible historically, we know that Nathan is clearly not a false prophet. In fact, he was one of the ones who spoke the word of God to those who he was supposed to speak it to. So how then do we reconcile what happens here? Perhaps we can go to Mary J. Evans, a Bible scholar, the author for the commentary series, The Bible Speaks Today, and this is what she writes about this passage. It seems that for both prophet and king, and by implication for ordinary believers too, the normal procedure was to act and to speak on the basis of human thought and decisions made in the light of the knowledge of God and of His previously revealed will. The exception to this came when God gave a direct and specific revelation. Meaning to say this, it's a big chunk of words, but it means this. That we know, in this case, David knew that God that God's will was to be glorified and so did Nathan. Perhaps they had the Deuteronomy passage in mind, that it was God's design to have a place where he dwelt, and so they felt, yes, this is something to do. But yet, but yet, as we can see, and what Nathan and David clearly accepted was that there were limitations to their understanding. That there were limitations to their, under, to their understanding. And because of that, as the Lord spoke to them, they were willing to change. And perhaps that's the deeper lesson for us to pull from here. That it emphasizes the need for us to bring our thoughts and ideas before the Lord and inquire of Him, God, is this your will? We see in the passage that as godly as, as, godly as Nathan and David were, they never brought that idea before the Lord that we see and we recognize that God is first in our lives to the extent that we are willing to seek for God's direction such that we see that a good thing is not necessarily a God thing. That we, that we should bring our ideas before the Lord and inquire of His will and allow Him that space to speak. Allow Him that space to speak before we carry it out. Because that's what it means to let God be God in our lives. We see a parallel, we see echoes of this in the story of Joseph and Mary when Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Right? In Joseph's mind, we are told that Joseph had in mind to divorce Mary because Joseph was faithful to the law, as it describes in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. 
Yet at the same time, Joseph was recorded to have considered this. And because of that consideration, the Lord was given that space. The angel had that space to speak into Joseph's life. And he followed through on what God's specific direction was. So what Nathan teaches us here about letting God be God, about putting God first, is to inquire of the Lord, the need to inquire of the Lord, and to be open to God's specific direction. That initially in our human minds, there may be elements or ideas that we think are godly, that are based on biblical principles, yet we must remain open to God's guidance and instruction and then follow through on what the Lord reveals, just as Nathan did when verse 17 says, in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is ultimately the key to what it means to have God, to let God be God, that we inquire of the Lord and we follow through on what the Lord has spoken to us. Finally, then we look to David's response from verses 18 to 29. So David has heard from Nathan all that the Lord intends to do, and David's response goes beyond simple gratefulness. David is in utter worship of God. He's astonished at what God is going to do. He's stunned at the love that the Lord has and amazed that God intends to establish him as part of his everlasting kingdom. And we see this in three instances in David's response, if we can group them broadly. First, from verses 18 to 19, we see that David is struck by his unworthiness and he looks to God in awe. It records this. Then David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Where David says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? He is so conscious that he is nothing but a small fry in comparison to God, and he is acutely aware that he is unworthy of the favor that God has shown to him. Yet he also knows that in comparison to all that God is, God is giving him a small thing. And he's struck by the unworthiness, by his unworthiness. We see then how David responds in worship. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods? And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord God, became their God. 
that here David proclaims the praises and the glorious name of the Lord. David says, there is no God beside you. David recognizes that God is great and he proclaims the great things of God. He worships the Lord in all his heart in response to what the Lord is doing to him. And then to wrap it all up in a nice bow, David reiterates his concern for God's glory when he says this, and now, and now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken according to your servant, concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. See, David still speaks of magnifying the Lord's name. He continues to recognize that all this blessing, that while he may be the recipient of it, they serve one purpose, and that is to glorify the name of the Lord. That David's heart and his concern amidst the blessing in his life remains for God and God alone. That David firmly grasped this idea that nothing is worth more in comparison to God. The question is, how about us? That we must recognize that David's response and dedication was in response to God's promise. And when we bring that into what we are experiencing right now, we see that David responded in this way to God's promise to build him a kingdom. But ultimately, as we, as we visited at the start, the promise is fulfilled on the cross. The promise that this chapter ultimately points to is Jesus Christ himself. And for those of us here, all of us here have experienced the cross. How can our response be anything but one of utter dedication? That for us as we stand on this side of the cross, we see that David looked to the glory of God in all he did. And that same resurrection, the resurrection that we celebrate, proclaims the glory of God. Why should our response be any different than that of David? We see that David spared no expense to give God glory. God himself spared his only son for our sins. What expense can we spare in comparison to what God has done? Nathan and David had a desire to be aligned to God's will. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Do we give our all? Do we respond in the right way? Nathan heard the Lord's way, Joseph sought the Lord. In the same way, do we seek and submit to God's will.
as David responded in worship, the question for us is how do we respond to the cross? Is it one of simple gratefulness? Of gratefulness alone? Or do we look at the awe of who God is? Do we look at what God is? Do we see what God has done and recognize that nothing compares to who God is? And respond in the right way. And this is a season for us to truly search our hearts in light of all that God has done on the cross. How do we respond? In light of what God is doing in our midst, is there any excuse that we can consider to be valid? If we ponder the work of the cross, if we truly say we believe what the Lord has done, then we ought to be counting everything as lost in comparison to the surpassing greatness of what God promises. That what it means to prioritize God is simply to let God be God. 